Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our series on the book of Ezekiel titled Kingdom Come. Today we will be studying chapter 40 with Don Bauman. Don, what do you feel is important to note as we prepare to study this passage? Well, hi, Josh, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, You know, promises are important to all of us, aren't they? Uh, Having a promise kept is vital to any relationship. In Ezekiel chapter 40, we're going to see that God keeps his promises, especially to the nation of Israel. God is also a God of detail and order. In fact, there are so many details in this particular chapter that they could be hard to follow. If you're a visual learner like me, I'd recommend you go to the site bibliaprints.com. Their gifted artists have created a 3D animated video to accompany this chapter. So with that, let's get right into the passage. Good morning. And uh, yeah, we are, uh, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 40 this morning. Uh, before we get there, I wanted to uh, point out there is a little flyer in your, um, uh, in your handout that has uh, a little rundown on, on Chip and Rome Nuttle. There are uh, medical missionaries on a small island two miles wide by eight miles long in the central Philippines. And uh, they provide medical services for about 11,000 people on that island. And uh, (laughs) they get their supplies basically from us. And so if there's a whole list of over-the-counter stuff that they need because they're I mean, there is no, no uh, Walmart down the street, right? Uh, they have to take a boat, and it's 13 nautical miles to the next city, and there's no Walmart there. And even if they took a, a, a boat uh, another two and a half hours, there, there just isn't the supply uh, available that they need. So the over-the-counter stuff, we just, you know, Pack it in. They're just puzzle masters who pack that box. And uh, we, we like to send those out on a regular basis. So uh, you'll see the box in the hall and, and any items that you can bring in from that list are very much appreciated. Uh, you're going to be hearing more about this uh, the, the end of October, but you might put it Saturday, October 30th on your calendar already. Ben Lynn will be here from Dublin, Ireland, and he's going to uh, have a pretty unique evening for us. It's going to be an Irish meal, and we're going to use, uh, he's going to use Irish music to explain a bit about the culture of Ireland and how... Uh, how knowledge of the culture is important to reach out with the gospel. And of course, there's carryovers for us, so a date to put on your calendar. Right now, though, I'd like you to think of a landmark that you've visited, okay? As recently as possible would be good. And I want you to think of as many details of that thing as you possibly can. Now, oh yeah, there, there's uh, three years ago, I got to go to Lebanon and Egypt with uh, NEO uh, and, and see what God is doing in, in each of those locations. And of course, if you go to Egypt, you have to go to the pyramids and uh, get on a camel and all of that. And, and one of the things that just took my breath away was the size of those things, and then the sacrifice 
of hundreds of thousands of lives to build them. Uh, there's a structure you can't even see in the pictures that runs the, the length of the entire pyramid. And I asked our guide, what is that? And he says, oh, that's the graves of the 150,000 people that died making the pyramids. And you kind of go, whoa. And when you see the size of it, you, you appreciate that. Well, we've all been to landmarks and we can recall details about it, but today we're going to look at the details of a future landmark that we will all get to visit one day. Doesn't exist yet, but it will. It's the Millennial Temple, the temple that will be in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ returns and reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it is described in detail. So much detail that it's kind of hard to take in. Uh, this passage, I'll tell you, it is not light reading. It, in fact, it falls in, this chapter falls into the same category as some of those genealogies in Genesis and Chronicles where you hit them and your, your eyes kind of glaze over and you go... Oh, what does this mean? And what does it mean to me? And we want to consider this vision that God gave Ezekiel uh, of this temple from which Jesus will be worshipped. And the detail, here's, here's a little takeaway you can stuff in your pocket right now before we even get into it. The detail in which this temple is recorded shows us that God will restore Israel and God keeps his promises. And that's something that we, we all need to be reassured of. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you, when you were here on the earth, you said, I know where I'm from and I know where I'm going. And, and honestly, we don't. We don't know what, we don't know what five minutes is going to bring, much less uh, uh, years, centuries down the road, but you do. Thank you for your word through which you, you speak to us. And thank you for this chapter, as puzzling and, and hard to deal with as it might be. We just thank you that it shows that you keep your promises. And might we be all reassured of that wonderful fact today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this may, I, this may be a surprise to you. Um, Christians disagree. Even about the Bible. I mean, that is kind of a shock, I know. But, you know, you'll get over it. Uh, and, and one of the things about which they disagree is Israel. Some believers who love Jesus feel God is done with Israel. He's replaced Israel with the church. Um, we don't feel that way here. And, and that's because of passages like this. And many, 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 many others. Uh, in fact, some scholars read these, these verses, really chapters 40 through 48, next to the book of Revelation. They are the longest vision recorded in the Bible. And it's a vision of the, of the millennium, 
of those, that thousand year reign when Jesus Christ returns to earth and rules and reigns on the earth. Now, some read that and they go, well, that temple's already been built. Or they read it and they say, ah, this is about the church. It's not about Israel. Well, there's a couple passages that really make it clear to me that God is going to keep his promises concerning Israel. One of them is in Jeremiah 31. And this is the way God puts it. This is what the Lord says. This is Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37. The one who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and makes its waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, the order of the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the seasons, if all that departs from my presence... This is the Lord's declaration. Then also Israel's descendants will cease to be a nation before me forever. This is what the Lord says. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below explored, I will reject all of Israel's descendants because of all they've done. This is the Lord's declaration. So he's saying, you know, the constancy of all these Systems that I've built in the earth shows that I will not forget Israel. That's pretty clear to me. So, if God's going to restore Israel, then why, why the temple? Why devote so much time to the temple? Because it's this week and next and the week after and, and so on. Uh, well, we have to remember, gotta, we're not Jewish, and so, you know, we don't, we don't think in that same way, but if you look back over the Old Testament, first the, the tabernacle and then the temple are described in as great a detail as this passage, and they're the center of Israel's spiritual life. They are the place of God's design and choice where he chose to meet and, and meet with the people of Israel, and they worship him. In fact, when Moses was given the law, he was given instructions about the tabernacle, the tent, uh, where they worshiped before there was a temple. And this is kind of a condensed, a Cliff Notes version of God's purpose that appears in Exodus 29, verses 42, 45, and 46. Again, if you want to look it up later and check me out. Always a good idea. Um, he, he's talking about meeting in the doorway of the tent before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, God would meet and fellowship with his people and they would worship and fellowship with him. We have always been made for a relationship with God. Now, under the Old Covenant, the, um, God's relationship with Israel was always contingent on their obedience. And guess what? They messed up every time. And you know what? We would too. We would too. Um, and for instance, when Solomon planned to build his temple in 1 Kings 6, God told, gave him this message. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you're building, if, should be capital I, capital F, right? If 
You walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep all my commands. By walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. And later when Solomon built the temple and it was amazing, breathtaking structure because he really was the first billionaire on, on the earth and he used that money to build this, this incredible temple. Um, Solomon figured this was it. This was the one and only temple that would ever be. In 1 Kings 8, verse 12, uh, it says, Then Solomon said, I have indeed built an exalted temple for you, God, a place for your dwelling forever. But we know the rest of the story. After Solomon died, the nation split in two. And both the northern ten tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah, they just kept drifting farther and farther and farther and farther away until God just allowed them to have what they wanted and, and they were taken away captive. Uh, 722 BC, the army of Assyria took the northern ten tribes into captivity. And then about 150 year, years later, the nation of Babylon invaded Jerusalem, destroyed Solomon's temple, and took them away captive as well. So Solomon's temple was built and then destroyed. The next temple, so not surprisingly, is called the Second Temple. Uh, it was restored in 516 BC to just a shadow of the glory of Solomon's temple. Um, in fact, it, uh, it's recorded that uh, some of the old timers, when they saw it, they started to cry. Imagine being the contractor, right? And uh, here it is, <laughs> you know, uh, thanks. And uh, uh, King Herod went and totally revamped that temple in 10 BC, and that was the temple that was around when, when Jesus was alive. And then in 70 AD, that temple, Herod's temple, was destroyed, this time by the Roman army. Now, the temple is so important to the nation of Israel and their spiritual life. You know, we have a temple in which we can worship as well. And we're in it. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify your God in your body. Not only is the Holy Spirit living in every believer in Jesus Christ, but when we gather like this together, in Ephesians 2, it says we're built together for a habitation of God by the Spirit. We collectively are a temple right now. God is present here. That's kind of a goosebump kind of moment. Uh, now, there will be a temple of some type 
before Jesus returns because that satanic world leader in the future, it's not any, you know, there's been a zillion books already written, and guess what? It's not any of those people that have been identified. I remember uh, as a college student, you know, Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Uh, come on, folks. Let's get over this. Uh, this person is going to go into the temple and set himself up as God. There's just one small problem. On the Temple Mount sits the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was built and rebuilt and rebuilt over the, uh, on, in the 700s AD because there were a number of earthquakes that kept flattening it. And then it was rebuilt in its present form in 1033 AD. Who knows? Maybe there'll be another earthquake, right? But the, the temple that Ezekiel sees is going to not be defiled. It's going to be where Jesus is going to be worshipped and when Jesus returns. And again, it, it just reassures us that God is going to keep his promises. Not only that, but if he cares about all these details of a temple that is yet to be built, how much does he care for us right now? And, and that is so reassuring. God knows and he cares about the details of our life, about, you know, what's going on in this temple. You know, if, they, if your health's going sideways, God knows and he cares. And that is so reassuring. And remember, we remember what has happened up to this point in Ezekiel. In chapter 37, he was given the vision of the valley of dry bones where Israel was dead. And then there, God breathes life into them again. And then in chapters 38 and 39, Israel is redeemed from absolutely certain destruction. And so now in chapter 40 and all the way to the end of the book, Israel is prepared to be a place where God will live among them. God will keep his promises. Now, you can breathe a sigh of relief. You've probably thumbed through the chapter and your eyes have already begun to glaze. And uh, we're not going to read word for word every, every uh, word, verse in this chapter. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a lot. And there is a gifted artist at a group called Biblia Prince. And this guy has done a 3D animated model of this temple, and, and he's given us permission to use it today, and so that will help us a lot in visualizing um, what Ezekiel is describing. But we are going to start by looking at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 40. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after Jerusalem had been captured, on that very day, the Lord's hand was on me, and he brought me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. On its southern slope was a structure resembling a city. He brought me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. He was standing by the gate. He spoke to me. Son of man, look with your eyes, listen with your ears, and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you. For you have been brought here so that I might show it to you. Report everything you see to the house of Israel. And Ezekiel is a detail kind of guy, 
right? Those of you that are engineers and contractors and architects, he's right up your alley, right? And so he's detailed even about the day in which he receives this vision. And uh, he, he says it's the 25th year of our exile. That would be 573 BC. And he says it's the 10th day of the first month. Um, if it's, he's using the religious calendar, and we're pretty sure he is, that would be Nisan or in the spring. This would be the first day of the preparation for the Passover. Now, remember, Israel's in exile, right? And so they're not able to celebrate the Passover. But even remembering that this is the day that we're supposed to celebrate Passover, that that. That holiday reminded Israel that they were delivered by the sacrifice, by the blood of the lamb, and they were redeemed. And what a reminder that Christ is our, our Passover. He has been sacrificed for us, and God will deliver Israel completely. And in this vision, see, Ezekiel's over in modern-day Iraq or Iran, in that area. And he is transported 700 miles to Jerusalem. And he sees this future temple. And the messenger, the one delivering it, has a skin that appears uh, to shine like bronze. And... and we're, at first, we might be sure, who is this? Because sometimes Jesus appears prior to his incarnation in the Old Testament. But we know that this isn't Jesus because of uh, a verse in chapter 43. This is an angel that has been sent to, to show Ezekiel these things. Over in chapter 43, I'll just read verses 6 and 7, we, we hear somebody else speaking. And this, this guide is standing right next to Ezekiel when this happens. While the man was standing beside me, right, the guy with the bronze skin, I heard someone speaking to me from the temple. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the Israelites forever. So that's Jesus. So this guy's an angel, right? And he has a, a linen cord. It's got uh, marks on it to measure long distances and a rod that's 10 feet long. And he uses that for, I guess that's before they, they invented those yardsticks that fold up, right? And uh, so he's set to measure. And Ezekiel has an assignment here. He's told to look, listen, and pay attention because he's going to receive a vision that is really important and encouraging. You see? And, and in the context of everything that Ezekiel's been shown, so he, he knows that God will bring Israel from death to life. Uh, he'll deliver them, and he will dwell among them in this temple. Now, we get into a description of the temple. There is a, a little guide if you want to read the chapter uh, over later. Uh, some of these graphics made by this gentleman uh, are in there, and that can help. But the, uh, first, there is a wall that surrounds the whole temple complex, and it's 10 foot high by 10 foot wide. Uh, then he takes us to the outer gate, the first outer gate that face, faces east. And this is, it's really a structure. It's really a tower. It's not just a doorway. Okay? There is a doorway. Uh, it's 17 and a half 
feet wide by 22 and three quarters feet tall. Very, very specific details with a threshold 10 feet deep. And Ezekiel is taken through this and it's like a hallway as we walk through this gate tower. And there are six recesses, six little rooms, 10 by 10, on either side that are described. They're eight and three quarters feet apart, and there's, there's three of them. There's even a 21-inch little wall on the floor. And, and what they are for, we're really not sure. The Hebrew word can refer to a guard room or just a room. We're not sure why they're there, but they're there. Okay? And um, so we walk down the hallway, and here are these recesses off on either side, three on either side. And there are these uh, pilasters or support columns that are big. They're three and a half feet thick and they're 105 feet tall. So this is a pretty impressive uh, structure here. And there's artistry. There's artwork in the temple. These pilasters, these support columns have palm trees on them all the way up. And uh, there's also windows that run the, the whole uh, height of, the, of this tower. And there's a number of windows, and they, they're described as being beveled. Now, it might be they might be wider on the outside and they're beveled toward the inside, or they might be shrinking as they go up. In any case, it reminds me of uh, the structure of many cathedrals that cause your eye to go up in worship. And a palm tree, a palm tree is, is often used in scripture to indicate a flourishing spiritual life. What a beautiful picture to have in the temple. In Psalm 92, it says the righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. He, they will flourish in the courts of our God pretty appropriate. Francis Schaeffer was a uh, theologian and a philosopher who wrote in the latter half of the 20th century, and he wrote a book called Art in the Bible, and, and he wrote about the importance of us being creative people because we're made in the image of the creator. And in this book, Art in the Bible, this is one thing he said. When a man, or woman, obviously. When a man comes under the blood of Christ, his whole capacity as a man is refashioned. His soul is saved. Yes, but so are his mind and body. True spirituality means the lordship of Christ over the total man. And then he asks this question. Is the creative part of our life committed to Christ? Christ is the Lord of our whole life, and Christian life should produce not only truth, flaming truth, but also beauty. An encouragement for uh, those who um, really feel creativity is an important part of your life. It should be. It should be. It's God-given, and it reflects that we're made in the image of God. And so we see truth and beauty in this temple. Next place he takes us in verses 17 through 19 is the outer courtyard of the temple. This is a big place. It's uh, shaped in kind of a C format because there are gates uh, from, from the outside into this outer court on the southeast 
and north sides. There's none on the west because that's where the temple is. And um, as he describes it, the, this courtyard, which is paved over, um, I'm guessing with some kind of decorative pavers, again, artwork, uh, is 175 feet wide. So it's a pretty big space. And you can just imagine um, redeemed Jews from all over the world coming to the temple and worshiping their Messiah as they have longed to do always. And now they're able to do so. And they know their Messiah. They know Jesus. Uh, verses 20, 20 through 27, uh, Ezekiel goes with that same meticulousness, actually the man is meticulous and Ezekiel's writing it down like crazy, uh, he describes the north and the south gates and they're identical to the east gate that he has described in detail. And uh, again, picturing people from all over coming to worship Jesus. Uh, uh, worship is so important to God. And not, and not just worship, but worship from our hearts is so important. That's one thing I really appreciate about our, our music team is that they really go out of their way. Like this morning, the country flavor, you know, and sometimes maybe it's rockier than you like. Oh, well, right? And, uh, you know, they, because we've got different tastes and, and they're really trying to, to help us worship in, in a style that appeals to our heart. And that's really what worship is all about. It's worship from our heart. And sometimes uh, there, there may be a song that just, wow, yes, I remember that one. That really appeals to me. Sometimes maybe less so. But they're, they're really making an effort to do that. And I really, really appreciate that. Uh, not only for those who are younger, but for those of us who might just be getting a little bit older. Right? It happens. Let me tell you. Now, in verses 28 through 37, uh, Ezekiel describes the gates that lead to the inner courtyard where the altar is and then the, the temple itself. And he starts with the south gate this time. And he relays measurements of this gate tower. And it's very, very similar to the, the gates to the outside world. They're the, the same dimensions. Uh, they, oh gosh, I forgot. It's like 43 by 87. They're big. It's a big structure by 105 feet tall. And there's eight steps that you go up and on on this gateway to the inner court, there's a porch. Eight and three quarters feet deep by 43 feet wide. Amazing, the, the detail here. And um, the inner courtyard gates, uh, gate towers, they have the same little recessed room and we're gonna have to find out why they're there. But uh, oh, I've gotta go back to the outer courtyard because I didn't talk about that. There are these 30 buildings all the way around. And the, the Hebrew word means a, a building that could be used for storage or dining. And later on in Ezekiel, he mentions that the, the uh, sacrifices that are allowed to be eaten by the, the priests are eaten in some of these rooms. So that's a part of what the, those rooms are used for. These inner recesses in the towers, we're going to have to wait and see what they're used for. Okay? Uh, then, 
Okay, so there's the, uh, the, the south gate, the east gate. They're all the same. Now he goes to the north gate, uh, leading into the, the temple, the inner court. And he describes something that's shocking. I know it was to me, and it might have been to you. He describes that this gate is set up to accommodate animal sacrifices. And he goes into some detail about it. Uh, there is a chamber uh, right off in one of those recessed rooms where uh, the burnt offerings were to be washed. And then there's eight stone tables, four inside, four outside. This, uh, this tower, this gate tower. Uh, those of you that uh, love C.S. Lewis, I'm sure that this is where he got it from, right? There are eight stone tables where the sacrifices were to be slaughtered. And uh, he mentions three kinds of offerings that will be offered at this time. Uh, the burnt offering and sin offering. They're both obviously for sin. Um, the restitution offering was to cover sins inadvertently committed. And they're described in Leviticus 5 through 7. In fact, one of the rooms even has... It's, it's meat hooks on the walls where, where they, they put the carcasses of the animals that are queued up and ready to be offered on the altar. And you kind of go, what? What's going on here? Why is there a renewal of animal sacrifices? I thought Jesus paid once for all, for everything. And, and of course that's true. That's absolutely true. That underscores... Everything that's happening here and, and everything that happened in the Old Testament when it says in Hebrews 10, for it is impossible, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's exactly what it means. The, all those sacrifices in the Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. Now, in the millennium, when Israel was restored and they know who Jesus is, these sacrifices look back at what he's done in a way that is so unique to their culture. It's like, wow, we get to remember. Now we get to remember Jesus. Now, if, if you are a family like us and you own animals and you love them, you know, it's kind of brutal to think of this. But you know what? Jesus' sacrifice for us was pretty brutal, wasn't it? The consequence for sin was pretty tough. And in fact, these sacrifices will be an incredible reminder on earth of that song that is sung in heaven that we will be singing as well in Revelation 5. The lamb who was slaughtered. And that's the word that's used. Not slain, slaughtered. That's what happened to him. The lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We'll talk more about this whole idea of sacrifices beginning again in, in the weeks to come.
Now, verses 44 to 47, there are rooms, kind of, uh, I don't know, break rooms maybe, for the, uh, uh, the singers and the priests. Now, they're all Levites. They're all from uh, the tribe of Levi. In fact, they're, they're named as being descendants of Zadok, who was the uh, high priest that anointed King Solomon. And Ezekiel probably straightened up a little bit because that was his family too. Uh, and there's, there's a room for the priests that are in charge of the temple, and that would be worship. And then there's another room for the priests that were in charge of the altar or the sacrifices. Now, I don't know whether they had like a schedule each week, okay? Uh, uh, this week I'm on the temple, and this week I'm, I'm on the sacrifices. Uh, but the, the same guys did both. And what a reminder for us that worship involves not only praise, you know, singing along to those catchy tunes, but there should be sacrifice. And that takes place in our heart because that's the only place where worship truly occurs is in our heart. And there should be that willingness, that desire to be a living sacrifice to God to give up all those, those ways that we like to just grab control of our life, to give them up to God and say, Lord, I am yours. I'm yours. And so as we, you know, when we uh, worship again uh, in, in just a, a few minutes, may that be happening in each one of our hearts. Now, verses 48 and 49, the chapter concludes by uh, going to the threshold of the temple. And, and in chapter 41, we're going to go inside the temple next week. And some of the details of this temple built in the millennium harken back to the temple built by Solomon. In fact, in 1 Kings 7.21, there are two pillars, just like there are two pillars outside uh, this temple, and there were two pillars outside of Solomon's temple, and he named them. The first one is Jachin, and the second pillar is Boaz. Jachin means he will establish, and Boaz means in him is strength. And just, uh, again, all of these things are reminders Reminders of who's at work behind all this. The Lord, through his strength, is going to reestablish Israel as a nation that will know him and serve him, just like he promised. So that's, like I said at the beginning, that's our easy takeaway, is God makes promises and he's going to keep them. But that may not be so easy for us, because all of us have read promises in God's word. And they may seem so distant from our experience, so separated from the reality in which we live that we may at times have wondered, is God ever going to keep them? I'll give you some examples. You know, as we struggle with our flesh, we live in these bodies where uh, strong urges to sin and, and as we deal with that, sometimes victoriously, sometimes not, we sometimes might wonder about our own forgiveness, about those promises of forgiveness or of victory over sin. As we see loved ones, people we love and care for, establish their identity on something other than God. And there are hundreds and hundreds of things to establish your identity on today other than God. 
we may wonder if they'll ever believe in Jesus or understand who he's made them, if they, if they have. As we see evil seeming to triumph over and over and over again, we may wonder about its ultimate defeat. And as we pray for someone we care about and we see no change, we may wonder if change will ever come. Ezekiel had every reason to feel the same way when he received this vision. Remember, he was in exile. <laughs> he was a captive. And even if he had been in Jerusalem, that wouldn't have helped because the city and the temple were in ruins. But God keeps his promises and he has received these amazing promises that dry bones are going to live. God is going to deliver Israel suddenly and in a powerful way and Israel will be regathered. They will worship their Messiah in a temple that he has now seen with his own eyes. And so let's think about one of those promises that's so important to us that we've read in God's word, but seems so distant. Let's be encouraged that God is going to keep his promise. And it isn't like, okay, I just have to believe harder and harder and harder, and then God might keep his... No. God keeps his word because he is faithful. And we can trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we are just... So thankful that we can trust you. And Lord, for that person, for that promise that we, has come to mind, we know that we can commit that individual to you. And we, we ask that our life, our lifestyle would just be marked by trust in you. And right now we... we are so grateful for the opportunity to worship you in our hearts uh, as living sacrifices. And we do so bowing before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, God is certainly a God of detail and order, and he keeps his promises. What promise from God's word is important to you personally, yet its fulfillment seems so distant? If we can pray with you, please contact us at our website, hilltopchurch.net. Next time in Ezekiel 41, we will accompany this angel into the sanctuary of this future temple and consider what it means to worship God. Thank you for listening along with us. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can find more messages like this by searching Hilltop Community Church in your podcast app or by searching in the My Church app. You can also find our live services online via our YouTube page or by going to www.hilltopchurch.net forward slash live. We hope to see you soon. Have a blessed day.